Welcome to TWT FM, a weekly podcast from the world transformed, bringing year-round radically political education and utopian thinking to bear on the issues that define our world. In our second series, we're exploring the concept of leisure, and in particular, aspects of life we've been missing due to the COVID crisis. What does leisure time reveal about our relationship to work and time under capitalism and how our lives might be different with access to more of it? Join us as we delve into our favorite leisure activities, including dancing, football, holidays, and more with the wide angle lens you'd expect from TWT. As ever, please subscribe and share the podcast with friends if you haven't already. For now though, turn up your headphones, sit back and listen up. This is The World Transformed. In this second series of TWTFM, we've been exploring COVID and the crisis of leisure. The majority of episodes in this series concern aspects of our lives that have been minimised or absent during the pandemic, activities that COVID has rendered unsafe and lockdown prohibited. But this week we're approaching leisure from a different direction. We will examine what happens in the absence of activity, when leisure is cancelled and our calendars emptied. Welcome to a mini episode of TWTFM on the emotional affect, boredom. Along with baking and Zoom quizzes, for many, boredom seems to have proliferated under COVID. But the type of boredom we're collectively experiencing during lockdown is radically different to its previous generations. Where once boredom was an empty listlessness, today it's hard to claim we ever truly really have nothing to do. From scrolling to swiping, browsing to binging, our attention is under assault. Extractive social media and the powerful supercomputers in our pockets are the frontier technologies of this war on attention. They are specifically designed to be addictive, providing mini hits of dopamine. Some studies suggest it's harder to give up Twitter than cigarettes or alcohol. But if the modern experience of boredom is a result of overstimulation, have we misidentified a complex mix of very different feelings, feelings of anxiety, loneliness, restlessness? And if we are no longer capable of being truly bored under late capitalism, Is there maybe something we have lost in its absence? Might it instead be the case that boredom is less of a nemesis to leisure than a necessary counterpart? These are big questions, ones we'll only begin to explore in today's mini-episode. The format is an experimental break from the traditional magazine style of TWTFM. A radio play set on the stage of social media, with a smartphone as a prop and Siri a supporting actor. The story begins with our protagonist, Mindlessly doom scrolling. So obviously we're more than a year now into COVID. A great deal of money's been spent by the government. Ugh. Hey Siri. Yes. Tell me a joke. Certainly. The past, present and future walk into the bar. It was tense. Ha ha. Would you like me to tell you another joke? No, I'm bored. How can you be bored? You've got the world's information at your fingertips. Is there any other way I can entertain you? 
Hmm. Siri. Yes? What is boredom? A definition of boredom. Boredom is a common feeling. Feeling unsatisfied by an activity, or uninterested in it, can lead to boredom. Boredom may occur when you feel energetic but have nowhere to direct your energy. It may also occur when you have difficulty focusing on a task. Would you like more information on boredom? Yeah, go on then. Opening blog post, No One Is Bored, Everything Is Boring, by Mark Fisher. The key problematic affect capitalism now faces is anxiety. In an earlier Fordist era, it was boredom. It was the neoliberals, not the organised left, who were best able to absorb and instrumentalise this critique of boredom. Neoliberals quickly moved to associate Fordist factories and the stability and security of social democracy with tedium, predictability and top-down bureaucracy. In place of this, the neoliberals offered excitement and unpredictability, but the downside of these newly fluid conditions is perpetual anxiety. The economic, social, existential precariousness which neoliberal governance has normalised. Too much anti-capitalist politics is locked into strategies and perspectives that were formed in an era when the struggle was against boredom. Capitalism has effectively solved the problem of boredom. It is crucial that the left finds ways of politicising anxiety. Many cases of depression and anxiety are the effects of neoliberalism's successful tendency to privatise stress, to convert political antagonisms into medical conditions. One could feel almost nostalgic for boredom 1.0. The dreary void of Sundays, the night hours after television stopped broadcasting, even the endless dragging minutes waiting in queues or for public transport. For anyone who has a smartphone, this empty time has now been effectively eliminated. We endlessly move among the boring, but our nervous systems are so overstimulated that we never have the luxury of feeling bored. No one is bored. Everything is boring. Hey Siri, can you limit the amount of time on my social media? Certainly. Setting daily allowances for social applications. What daily maximum would you like to set? Uh, 10 minutes? No, 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 20 minutes. Okay, that's 20 minutes per application, per day. Say yes to confirm. Um... Sorry, I didn't quite catch that. In fact, Siri, call Marcus. Calling Marcus Gilroy where? Hey, Marcus. Hey, how's it going? I've just been reading this article about boredom and it got me thinking. Lockdown is making me bored, but also restless and anxious. Do you think that's just down to more time spent on screens and social media? Well, I mean, I'm always very cautious around arguments that say social media make us do X or make us feel Y or whatever. But amongst the kind of large swathe of studies that have looked at the effects that social media have on us, most of them find a correlation between negative affect, you know, affective disorders, depression, anxiety, disrupted sleep, loneliness, poor life satisfaction, etc. And um, not all of the studies are able to show causation, but that's partly because these things are very, very difficult to measure. Um, but then at the same time, it may be that when we're already feeling low life satisfaction or feeling depressed or feeling anxious, we are then driven to go and, and compensate 
on these media. And I think, you know, compensatory consumption of things we know are not good for us is a very well-studied and, and well-established feature of, of, of life in, in capitalism. It's not only true with, with social media. I often think of social media as being a little bit like Haribo or something. They, they have calorific value. They'll keep you alive, but they'll also slowly kill you because they're not actually very good for you. Um, and the same is kind of true with these media. So they'll, they'll keep you from being bored or they might kind of give you some semblance of, of social contact. But actually, they're incredibly, they're not nutritious at all. Um, and they're kind of bad for you. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, I wanted to call you, actually, because I, I read this post by Mark Fisher and it got me thinking that although social media might not be, like you say, nutritious, at the same time, it is, it's kind of a dirty pleasure. Like, why is that? Um, Mark Fisher talks about most clinical depression is a state of what he calls anhedonia, which is the inability to feel or, you know, in, feel pleasure or to enjoy things in a substantial way. And he kind of looks at his depressed students because he was teaching in a further education college um, and says that rather than them being in a state of, of, de of depressive anhedonia, that he sees them as being in a state of depressive hedonia, um, which is the inability to do anything else but pursue pleasure. He called it a kind of matrix, a sugary matrix of, of late night PlayStation, cannabis, junk food and uh, and social media. And I think that that's quite, um, you know, it's typically Mark Fisher, quite a kind of apt uh, and sharp description of it. But there's a sense of just compensatory behaviors, the constant seeking of pleasure um, in response to not necessarily depression in the clinical sense, but just like a depressive affect. You know, I think a lot of us probably experience that where we're not yet through the the gates of being clinically depressed but we have depressive phases um that are kind of on the way there and in those phases maybe because we're not yet fully depressed or maybe because you know the conditions are different um we tend to do a lot of pleasure seeking as a way of trying to distract ourselves and compensate when there's highly palatable kind of appealing stuff around rather than deprive ourselves because we're depressive, we actually gorge. And that's, of course, you know, what what a consumer society wants is for us to gorge. Do you think we're still capable of boredom, like in a conventional sense? That would, that would be nice. That would be good if we could be a bit more boredom, because as Mark Fisher and other people have pointed out, actually boredom then leads us to be creative. You know, we, action comes from uh, from this kind of, sitting around and being bored and if we weren't constantly being distracted by these forms of kind of um you know what i call hedonic media consumption then we might actually be building a new world a better world you know be doing other slightly more politically constructive things um so i don't know i think i think it would be nice if there could be a bit more boredom that isn't just taken away immediately by these companies trying to exploit it by showing us showing us things either in exchange for money or in exchange for our attention that they can sell to someone else. Do you reckon when lockdown ends, we'll be able to realise how collectively sick we are of these technologies or am I just being too optimistic? I think it might be, but I also think it's kind of, there's an element of realism in that as well. You know, we are, I think as beings, we try to maintain a certain kind of stasis over the long run. And, and politically, sometimes that can be a real problem because, you know, radical change is needed and we and we aren't able to make ourselves make it. But I also think that as conditions change around us, don't we don't we compensate? 
you know, I mean, isn't that, in a way, that's part of what we're talking about. So when we're all forced to stay at home, mediated, you know, communication and consumption goes up. But when we're all kind of released from a year or a year and a half of confinement, I'm sure that we'll do the opposite. I'm sure that there's a good chance that we'll be outside and we'll be sitting in the sunshine and whatever and checking Instagram and seeing what other people are doing there. It's like the last thing that's going to be on a lot of our minds. I, I ho- certainly hope so. And I feel like that's that's what I think my kind of, you know, release from this situation is going gonna, is gonna to look like. I feel like I'm not going to actually look at my phone screen for you know, a month or, I don't know, um, same with a laptop. Um, so there's a chance, you know, there's always a possibility that, that we can kind of sow the seeds of some kind of emancipation. I just feel like that that will be the battle, it won't be the war, you know, because, I mean, the folks at Facebook, I guarantee you, are already thinking about this and they're already thinking about how they can make sure people don't pull away too much. Because if there is even one major trough in usage, um, and number of hours spent using their platforms, they're basically finished. Um, if they stop being able to sell our attention, they're finished. That is their business model. So they're already thinking about the fact that we're going to want to, you know, be in real space, meet space as they call it, and embrace one another and get away from the screen. And they're already going to be thinking about how they can make that into like not being a, you know, commercial disaster for them. Yeah, here's hoping. Um, listen, I've got a shoot, but this has been so, so helpful. So thank you for that. For certain. Uh, we'll speak soon. Take care. All right, bye, mate. Bye. Hello, everyone. Um, I've just been thinking about lockdown boredom and how it's driving my use of social media. I just I just feel distracted all the time. And I know, is that just me? Does any anyone else have... Uh, any ideas how to cope? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm as addicted to my phone as the next person and disgusted by the fact that these apps are designed to be a drain on our time. Um, but, you know, this past year, I found myself really looking to social media to uh, connect with people in ways that I can't in real life. You know, the kind of um, WhatsApp, discussions and zoom calls and like tweet conversations that I get into now kind of engage me and sustain me in ways that they didn't really before the pandemic Um, it's actually come to play quite an important role in my life and a positive one Hey everyone, I'm Shira. I organise with the Ella Baker School of Organising. Since lockdown, you know, we've grown in numbers. Our membership has grown. Social media has done an amazing thing in terms of attracting the masses and getting loads more people to our spaces and on our courses. We've attracted so many different people in rural areas who would have found it quite difficult to attend some of our sessions if it hadn't been for social media. So the Twitter, the Facebook, the Instagram has done wonders in terms of getting and cascading the message of our political education school. So we've had so many folk who um, haven't had any uh, activist training before, community organising before, and they've come here, found a safe space. Um, So it's been really great to promote the work of our political education school using uh, social media to bring folk together to learn, educate and get organised. Um, 
By all accounts, the commute to work is an intense situation on the train. You're rattling against strangers, uh, holding on to the, to the pole with one hand whilst the other one sets to work on social media, messaging friends, scrolling through the infinite content. It's, it's very frantic energy. So one day I decided that I must stop this. I made some rules. I wasn't allowed to go on social media. I wasn't allowed to look at my phone or listen to a podcast. I was banned from reading books. I could only just stand there. And it was, yeah, it was a bit of a revelation. Just like uh, noticing my center of gravity shift when the train accelerated looking at looking at uh, scuff marks on people's shoes and noticing noticing the quality of the screeching between London Bridge and Green Park and somehow my commute's now become the least frantic part of my day now it's, it's a break from break from having to do anything that sounds like a healthy practice to be honest I guess the question for me is, how do we enjoy the benefits of social media without getting sucked into all the anxiety and perpetual distraction? I don't really have an answer to that, but in the meantime, have you tried meditation? It won't bring down big tech, but I do find it helps. I'll send you an invite to the app and you can download a free trial. Welcome to Minds Over Matter, personal meditations for inner change. Please select your meditation. Meditation for focus. Meditation for sleep. Meditation for productivity. Meditation for interview nerves. Meditation for social media distraction. Before we begin, remind yourself that this time is for you and you alone. Take a moment, make yourself comfortable where you are. Maybe straighten your back or trace gentle circles with the nose, relaxing your neck. Once you've reached a place of stillness, begin to deepen your breath. In through the nose and out through the mouth and again inhale and exhale. We will continue with your meditation after an advert from our sponsor. This free meditation is sponsored by TWT-FM. If you like the transformative feeling of meditation in alleviating your private stress, you're going to love the transformative impact of collective action to change society. At The World Transformed, we believe that our individual suffering is intrinsically linked to the suffering of others. And so is our liberation. If you don't want to return to a world full of boredom, anxiety and alienation when this meditation is over, become a supporter of TWT today and help us to imagine, demand and build a world transformed. 